we'd like to welcome you to our emergency freedom alerts for October 3rd, 2022. And today I was not planning on doing a study. Uh, and um, this thing, this horrible thing happened with Hurricane Ian. And I just really felt convicted to do at least a one part study tonight to just cover that and uh, just to kind of dedicate and zero in on that one particular subject uh, because it's it's such a cataclysmic event that happened and there's a lot to it there's a lot of moving parts so i'm just going to go ahead and just do a one-part study i'm, I'm going to um just get right into the study today the first report is worse than katrina it appears that we just witnessed the most costly natural disaster in u.s history by a wide margin and that's saying a lot i don't know if i have the words to describe what we have just seen summer just ended and within one week we've already witnessed the most costly natural disaster in the entire history of the united states there have been some areas along the west coast of florida that have been literally destroyed some have compared the devastation to dropping an atomic bomb and that's not really an exaggeration the state of Florida has never experienced a storm quite like this before, and the recovery is going to be measured in years. Uh, Hurricane Ian had maximum sustained wind speeds of 155 miles per hour, and that put it just 2 miles per hour being short of a Category 5. But the high winds weren't what made it so horrible. Well, it was one of the things, obviously. But what me made Ian so horrible was the storm surge. Giant walls of water picked up the cars, the boats, the telephone poles, and the palm trees and tossed them around like toys. Uh, Florida Governor <clears throat> Ron DeSantis said the storm caused a 500-year flooding event and said the Coast Guard helicopters were plucking trapped residents from the roofs of homes. Well, they weren't doing that until, um, you know, the winds would have, you know, died down considerably. Uh, communities across the state will be swamped by the overwhelming waters. He said the impacts of the storm were historic and the damage that has been done is historic. We've never seen a flood event like this. We've never seen a storm surge of this magnitude. <clears throat> um, now, what ended up happening, and I'm going to get into the weather warfare aspect of it, but this is my hometown where this is. This is where I've spent roughly 35 years. I grew up there uh, since I was four in the Fort Myers area. <clears throat> Been to Sanibel Island, you know, can't even tell you how many times. Uh, in Fort Myers Beach that probably was ground zero for the, the um, most most northern part of Fort Myers Beach would be I would say would be the epicenter of ground zero for the area that got hit the worst really even worse than Sanibel did even though it came on short Sanibel which is a barrier island there in uh, southwest Florida it it came on shore there, but the way that the winds were actually directed, the way that they were spinning around the hurricane, they were most um, impactful toward Fort Myers Beach. They were the strongest, and they were going directly into Fort Myers Beach, whereas the winds that hit Sanibel were more of a lateral type of wind. Because of this, Fort Myers Beach got the worst storm surge because the winds were going 
straight in at a 90 degree angle into Fort Myers Beach. Um, <clears throat> therefore, the, the most of the footage that looks like a nuclear bomb went off, you're going to see at Fort Myers Beach. That northern end, which, you know, I can't tell you that was probably the... Um, I, like I've said, my, my past was was pretty uh, was pretty uh, checkered regarding just bad behavior and these types of things growing up in that area. And Fort Myers Beach for me was probably where I committed probably about as much bad behavior, sinful behavior as about any place on the planet. So I'm very familiar with that area. Um, <clears throat> not saying that that's a good thing. I'm just saying that's that's pretty much a fact um that area that got hit it did look like it almost got nuked the pier there the the area called times square i mean these these businesses were wiped off down to their foundation they were getting the direct wind and the direct storm surge coming in, whereas Sanibel was getting more of a lateral wind because the eye was coming on shore there. Therefore, Fort Myers Beach got the worst storm surge. Up to, I, I don't even, I mean, I've seen time-lapse photos of um, the water coming in, and it looks like every bit of 15 feet at one point, maybe 20. Extra feet of water there. Uh Obviously, it's not the only place they got hit. I'm just saying if you had to pick one spot that Hurricane Ian hit the worst, the hardest, with storm surge and with winds, that would be would be ground zero. Sanibel got obviously hit. They're saying it's inhabitable. Um, <clears throat> all the region behind those areas got horribly hit. Obviously, Port Charlotte and Punta Gorda and those other areas. But the winds there in the Port Charlotte area with the exact opposite. They were actually, because of the way the hurricane wraps its winds, it was actually pushing water out to sea. Charlotte Harbor, which was north of all this, was actually dry. I mean, going way out. They were showing pictures of Charlotte Harbor. Because I was monitoring this by, you know, I, I still feel like my roots there, even though I've been up here in North Carolina for like 12 years. I, I, I feel most connected to there. Of probably about any place on earth and so i was monitoring this um fairly recently i mean this is a big reason i moved i'm gonna say the lord totally opened the door for us to come up to north carolina in 2010 and there was a lot of things that led up to that but uh, taylor and i during 2004 we almost took a direct hit from hurricane charlie and I, I've told that story before about Hurricane Charlie. You can, if you want to hear that testimony, you can just key in Hurricane Charlie. You probably find it um, some of my older teachings. But um, <clears throat> I just realized in 2004 when that happened how vulnerable you know you are living there in that particular type of environment. I mean, if you have a, a cat three, four, five coming at you directly, it, it's it's a dicey proposition down there and the closer you are to the coast the worse off it is uh so so i've been keenly aware for a long time um i mean you know growing up as well you know keenly aware for a long time and you know how dangerous these 
scenarios can be. Um, and again, that, that was a really big factor in, in wanting to get us out of there away from the coast. And, and there's a lot of different reasons. I mean, you're just very vulnerable, especially in Florida, where it's as flat as a pancake for the most part. And if anything ever did, you know, the Canary Island situation with the earthquakes and the mountains dropping in, or a meteor hitting the water or these types of things. And I know we shouldn't live our life in fear and be directed of the Lord. I'm just saying it, it, it was it was one of the things that, that I did consider. Um, I do say, though, that, you know, the Lord was the one that opened the doors for, up to, for us to come up here. Um, but going back to this report here, it goes on to say, oh, and this kind of relates to the other thing about Charlie. Um, it goes on to say it was, it was already too late when many finally realized that they should evacuate. And it appears that there was a substantial loss of life as a result. In fact, Lee County Sheriff Carmen Marciano, who is the actual sheriff that came after Mike Scott, who I actually met with back in... Um, Man, it was probably about 2006 when I did, or maybe, yeah, it was around there, when I did the presentation on the avian flu uh, through the Prophecy Club. And I I believe I gave him my DVD. I had a friend, a, a Christian brother down there, and he knew Mike. And we met with him. And we, I just, we wanted to make him aware of just the whole scenario around the whole avian flu and the whole thing we met with him and I, I he was a really uh he's a great sheriff wonderful really, really had a good meeting with him but um this is the sheriff that came after mike scott sheriff carmine marciano says that quote this is a life-changing event for all of us i don't have confirmed numbers i definitely know the fatalities are in the hundreds now he can only be speaking to his area really i mean that's his this was preliminary what he was getting back from his deputies in the hundreds now i believe it's far greater than that but you're not going to see this i mean right now they're saying there's four dead in sanibel and i understand they're saying that there was like 300 people on the island when it hit whether those numbers are accurate i don't know now that's sanibel that's just sanibel not a not a real big island um but i would almost guarantee you the numbers are into the thousands but you're just not going to hear it because as I've been saying for years, as they did with Charlie, as they did with Katrina, they always lie. I mean, to a gigantic degree over the death toll. Always. Never fails. Um, but he's even admitting here, and this was right when it happened, like the next day or so. The sheriff there was already saying the fatalities are in the hundreds. And if you if you saw any of the devastation, the flyovers or the footage, I mean, <laughs> you could come to no other conclusion because a lot of people did not evacuate. Um, I have another listener down there that actually, a longtime listener that had just relocated, and he said he saw bodies just when he went back. But again, you're not going to see that on the news. Uh, then he goes on to say, so far confirmed in the hundreds. So this was like a day or two after. This is their sheriff. So far confirmed in the hundreds. But you'll see some, right now, I, I think the total death toll for the whole state is 70. They always lie. You know, figures lie and liars figure. Their figures are lies. And just always know that with 
every one of these disasters like this, they're always going to lie to you about the death toll. Um, he said, noting that conditions were too dire for his officers and other rescuers to get a true sense of the disaster. One of the things the lady also said, one of the news reporters, because I listened to this for so long for, you know, um, you know, two or three days, um, was that a lot of the people that were there were in, were not in flood zones. Now, um, as a result of that, because they were not in flood zones, um, they didn't have flood insurance. I know my family, most of my remaining family is down there um, on my dad's side. They followed, they followed us all down after we moved from Ohio when I was four, probably it'd be 1973. And we had a, you know, yeah, most of my dad's side of the family followed us down and they're still down there. And I don't know, like my one cousin and her husband, I don't know if they have flood, flood insurance. Um, they were on a canal in Cape Coral. And one thing that struck me about that is I can remember when I went down there, when I've been over to their house before, is how much higher the house seemed above the canal. It seemed like they were really in a good spot, like on high ground. But there was so much flood surge that it didn't matter. They still got, I think, a good... Taylor told me, I think, like a good foot of water in their house. And that's all it takes. Because once that water gets into the um, the drywall and the floorboards and the, and you know you can you can rip carpeting up but ripping up drywall and floorboards are a whole other animal um, or even wooden flooring in this type of stuff once that mold gets in there and sets it's a death zone it's pretty much a death zone you you can't it's it becomes inhabitable especially in a tropical climate and you know, who knows when a lot of these people are going to get electricity back. And a lot of them, because they weren't in a flood zone, but this was such an extraordinary event, they got flooded. But a lot of them, because they, they didn't have to get flood insurance, insurance is super expensive. I can't even imagine what it'll be now. Therefore, you know, they're, 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 they'll have to find some way to pay for this or, or, um, I don't know. Their options are not good. So, I i mean, in all my years of living there since 1973, nothing of this magnitude. But but then again, what we just covered, I mean, you're, you're looking at the potentially the biggest natural disaster that's of, of this type that's this hit. This is going to far exceed Katrina from, from what I'm seeing. Okay, so going forward, it, this goes on to say this is a time when everybody should be pulling together. According to one estimate, the economic damage from the storm could be somewhere in the neighborhood of $260 billion. Ex uh, experts expect the damages to cost up to $260 billion through cleanup efforts are currently unable, although current, cleanup efforts are currently unable to get underway as swaths of Florida remain underwater. And this was written, you know, a few days ago. Um but I'm sure there's still widespread, obviously, flooding and, uh, you know, just getting access. I mean, how, how are they going to get out to Sanibel? The, the roads are all washed away leading up to the toll booth. And then the the causeways broke up in like four different places. And I understand I'm talking like everybody lives there, but I'm just telling you the, the causeway, which is like three miles long, that gets you to Sanibel is like four different places that 
like got either swept away or fell into the sea. Um, <clears throat> prior to Hurricane Ian, the costliest natural disaster in U.S. history was Hurricane Katrina, which cost $170 billion in damage. And they're saying with this one, it's $260 billion, And that's just for, uh, you know, the, the Florida, I believe the Florida damage... Um, I don't know how much more the the Charleston when it when it went on short Charleston. Now, granted, it was a Category One. It did cause flooding. I don't think it was near to the extent, but I'm sure that added some cost onto everything. These estimates include the value of damages to residential, commercial, and government or municipal buildings, material assets within the buildings, business interruption, vehicles, and boats. And, and again, it's just an estimate. Um, I don't, there's no possible way you could be accurate with this stuff, but. Uh, vehicles, boats, offshore energy platforms. I mean, the, the boats are just stacked up like cordwood. These, you know, million-dollar yachts that people have and stuff like that. I mean, they're just stacked up like cordwood in the, in, within the marinas. And I, I don't know if they're all going to be total losses or, you know, I, I don't know. But I've never personally seen anything quite like this. Um So, at this point, it appears Katrina has been knocked out of the top spot. Right at the end of September of 2022, we've witnessed the costliest natural disaster in U.S. history, most likely by a wide margin. Uh, when the damage to Charleston is factored in, and that's already come and gone. Now, it, it was, that happened, and I think they wanted to turn that into a lot more than what it was from a weather warfare standpoint. We'll talk about that next. Uh, they were chemtrailing here like insanely. It was supposed to come right over my position. And it it by the time it got here, I was praying God would just accelerate it. I was praying that before it hit Florida, that God would just dissipate and accelerate. Uh, you know, one reason or another, it did not do that. Um, <clears throat> and it was very very slow moving and and these are the factors that made it so deadly is its strength okay almost a cat five its size it was gigantic the eye at one point was 40 miles across i think it was going north to south at one point the eye was 40 miles across when it went on short sanibel i mean it looked like this big gigantic just spot that was just there was no storm because it was the eye it's the biggest eye i've ever seen they said that you could fit charlie basically you could fit charlie in the eye of ian it was that much bigger when when charlie hit in 2004 taylor and i were there we were we were a lot more inland but i mean it was it was still a screamer and it wasn't as it was a cat three and it was a lot smaller and it was moving a lot faster the difference with ian Ian is that was I don't even know I mean if you look at it on a map it looked at least five times bigger I mean if not ten I don't know it was gigantically huge like I said you could hit fit Charlie in the eye of Ian um, it was much stronger was almost a cat five Charlie was a cat three and, and Charlie was a killer okay when we were down there the one thing I forgot to say and I'm glad I'm glad I'm remembering these things thank thank the Lord um, and I've told this story before. We had friends that lived in Port Charlotte, or Punta Gorda, I should say, and um, 
they were telling us that there were refrigeration trucks in the streets and they were they were operating this basically like rolling morgues yet like if you get the official body count for charlie for for that area for like poor charlie Punagorda, yeah they said like three died or something like maybe 10 total for the whole thing give me a break again total lies i reported on it at the time uh we had firsthand people that um were there the church i was going to the time the pastor lived there him and his wife and um we knew people down there and again they just lie about the death death numbers always and charlie was really i'm not gonna say nothing compared but it was it was a far far um smaller it was it was not near as strong uh well i mean i shouldn't say not near but it was it was not as strong it was you know, cat three, this was a cat, almost five. Ian looked to be at least five times bigger, if not 10. When you fit Charlie in its eye, that gives you a perspective. And the, another gigantic issue was that Charlie was very fast moving and it hit you. And then it just kept going. Okay. It basically took the same path as Ian did through the state. It had that diagonal line up through the state, hit a lot of the same places. Ian, though, was way stronger, way bigger, and moved way slower. So you're going to get a lot more rain dumpage, which occurred primarily on the northern side. But on the southern side, yeah, you got rain, but what you got was the winds were blowing on shore from the hurricane. That was where you are getting the direct 90-degree hurricane force winds, and that's where you were going to get the storm surge. And that's why Fort Myers Beach and Naples and Bonita and Cape Coral got most of the storm surge. Whereas Charlotte and up there, they're, they're, it drained out the, the harbor in areas north of that because the wind was moving offshore from the hurricane. But that's why they've, they've never seen like storm surge like this before because it was moving, the winds were so bad, it was so big, and it was moving so slow. And all of this really speaks to the whole thing that it was engineered to do this. And we're going to be looking at that actually next year. Um, we might as well get right into that. Wep okay, so the next report, weaponized hurricanes and biosphere destruction, controlling Hurricane Ian. Here's how they methodically intensified and meticulously steered Hurricane Ian into southwest Florida. Uh, you'll see a lot of chemtrailing ahead of time, I'll, I'll, usually in the places they're trying to direct it to. I think Again, I think they're trying to direct it right over Charlotte, uh, from Charleston into Charlotte. And it, it took more of a... Of a easternly turn we still we got a lot of rain but it was like a long soaking type of rain nothing that where we got any kind of at least in this area flooding from um and florida's phosphate fertilizer industry was in the direct path of the hurricane this was another reason they wanted to do it because they're trying to take out the food supply global attacks against the biosphere target crops fertilizer and food production and I believe the fertilizer industry is more in the um, middle part of, of Florida. It's, it's not a, it's, the middle part of Florida is not a place that you hear a lot about. Okay. It's not like the glitzy, glamorous coastal regions. It's more, it's more like country. I mean, there's like cowboys and ranches and farms and, and there, there's a lot of the, the fertilizer, they, the phosphate fertilizers, um, which is where you, you get NPK which is one of the main fertilizers they use. Now, it's, it's not 
it, it can grow a plant, but it's not going to produce a quality plant because you really need all the other trace minerals that naturally occur in the soil to be there. But it'll grow something that looks like a plant. Might not have any taste. Um, you, if you've ever gotten like strawberries or watermelon and things like this, and it's like, oh, it really looks good, and you bite into it, and it tastes like nothing or horrible or, or like we got some watermelon that it was like, I couldn't believe how bad it tasted. It looked good, but that's a dead giveaway. It was grown in soil that um, was probably they were only using NPK nitrogen phosphorus potassium well the phosphorus part one of the main places they mine that is is in um the middle part of the state of florida so they're going to talk about this in this video here this is um and again i know i've warned a lot about mike adams in in this and this is more of we're we're not worrying about not mike adams weird new age belief systems and i was promoting new agers and the whole coming um you know basically alien deception type deal uh, where he's going to be on fully on board with that with David Wilcock and these types of people. Uh, this is more we're looking at purely the information. Also, Dane Wigginton is the guy he's interviewing. Again, neither really, you know, neither of them are Christians. Um, they're coming at it from a very just kind of secular standpoint. But a lot of good things that you can glean from here. All right, welcome, folks. We are joined by none other than Dane Wigginton who agreed to join us on a kind of an emergency basis here because of what's just happened with Hurricane Ian. And of course, Dane Wigington is the founder of geoengineeringwatch.org. Uh, extraordinary man, extraordinary individual. Uh, he's been sounding the alarm on the destruction of the biosphere. And, and we did an interview a couple of weeks ago that was just bombshell. Uh, Mr. Wigington, I just want to thank you so much for joining me tonight. It, it's great to have you back. Well, Mike, it's always a pleasure. And again, the same gratitude to you and your organization and all you're doing to help pull back the curtain and expose the insanity. Well, we are all certainly subjected to massive insanity each and every day. So let's let's just jump right into this. I was watching the actual live tracking of Hurricane Ian as it entered the, the kind of the southwestern uh, shoreline of Florida, and then it moved in, and then it stopped, and then it took a turn to the east like a sharp turn like it had a turn signal on or something and then it stopped and then it hovered and then it moved around and then it decided to go north and i'm thinking i gotta call you and find out like because this is crazy this is not natural looking and you 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 told me off the recording that that's correct so go ahead what what did you notice about the storm track and and is it was it weaponized and so on within a few minutes we'll will send you the link to the recordings of the frequency transmissions that are used to repel the storm in different directions. That's how it's steered. And we have the actual recordings of that in real time while it's happening, maneuvering that storm. Same thing happens with so many other storms, Mike. You remember Hurricane Sandy that they knew seven days in advance was going to make an unprecedented left westerly turn. Remember that? Yeah. And they can't know things like that unless that is actually the scheduled weather, unless they have the means to ap actually manipulate the storms, and they do. And Mike, if you if you didn't see it, in the case of Hurricane Ian, 
it was just a drifting mass of unorganized convection. And that makes the storms much easier for them to steer until it gets closer to the land-based transmitters. So until it got south of Cuba, it basically was... Now, a lot of this is what he's referring to, the blast wave accelerators, the, the Nextrad Doppler ultrasound weather radar, which is where we're actually looking at the hurricane. They're actually using that to amplify the hurricane or steer it these types of things and it's, it's ironic because it's it's what like you're relying on to look at the hurricane and they're actually using it to it's one of the methods they use they also use chemtrails is, uh, ahead of the storms or you know in different various ways where they can you know steer and accelerate and or strengthen these things completely unorganized and then with ionosphere heaters they can Affect the convection. Now that's that's harp. The ionosphere heaters that you might have heard H A A R P harp um, technology that allows the storm to start forming and strengthening, which it did right before it hit Cuba, as it migrated northward by the southern end of Florida. The transmitter in Key West is part of the Next Rad transmitter network. And again, this will all be shown on the video we're, we're about to send you. We'll post in a few minutes at geoengineeringwatch.org. But that transmitter, again, with the repelling effect, when they saturate the air mass full of electrically conductive particles, that's part of climate engineering, those particles can be moved and repelled by the transmissions. If you're repelling the particles that are saturating that air mass, you repel the air mass, thus you repel the storm. And they can, in this way, maneuver those storms, steer them where they want to go, they de-energize the transmitters on the side that they want the storm to migrate to, so they're not being repelled. It's right. very, very clear on the transmission on the on the video that we'll be sending you shortly. So they can, in essence, by having a measured uh, transmission of, of the repelling force, what you're saying is they could, in essence, freeze the the movement of the storm and just let it hover and sit over a certain area while it's dropping you know two feet of rain like they they, they can do that exactly you're exactly correct that's a perfect interpretation exactly what they did in the case of hurricane harvey that they knew seven days in advance would end up where it ended up and stay there precipitating 50 inches of rain and we recorded that event also a geoengineeringwatch.org, Hurricane Harvey. Hurricane Hurricane Harvey. I did several reports on that. Yes, they did do the same thing, and it was a very similar type of weird hurricane weather pattern where they just sit it over an area and you know let it do its damage. There's can see that interaction of the frequencies with the storm. So your interpretation is exactly correct, Mike. Now, let's bring in this next fact, because in the last interview that you and I did, and, and for any listeners, if you missed that, You've got to check that out. It was an extraordinary interview. And uh, Dane and I, both being scientifically minded individuals who have a lot of knowledge, I, I think we really were able to get in depth on a lot of issues. But we talked about food scarcity and engineered drought, crop failures, and so on. So one of the things that just popped up with this hurricane is that it was a direct hit, and it hovered over the area of central Florida that is used by a company called Mosaic, which is responsible for producing 50% of the pelletized phosphate fertilizer for all of North America, and they provide 12% of the phosphate fertilizers for the entire world. Wow. So if you wanted to destroy the crop supply, folks, I mean, you know, NPK, nitrogen, right. phosphorus, and potassium. So nitrogen, you shut down by shutting down pipelines in Europe and Russia, 
And then phosphate is what's being shut down now by this hurricane in Florida. Dane, did did you notice that, that this was targeting or seemingly hovering right over this massive phosphate production or phos, uh, you know, a pelletized phosphorus fertilizer facility? Did you did you did you notice that? Uh, we did, thankfully, to your post that brought that to our attention, Mike. So thank you for that. And again, yeah, it was held in place there, and the, and the uh, transmission recordings will will reveal that. And in other places, in addition to cutting off the supply chains for fertilizers, there's other factors that no one in the science community except geoengineeringwatch.org is, is discussing. Other ways that they are able to shut down crops, for example, on the West Coast, these desiccant particles are so effective at drying out atmospheric RH, atmospheric relative humidity, that all the fertilizer in the world here on the West Coast wouldn't make any difference because we have right. not, only, not only the drought conditions, not only the toxic particles in the precipitation that are killing soil microbiome, affecting root systems, but we have VPD, vapor pressure deficit. It is so dry here that the organisms, be it crops or trees, can't open their stomata, the respiratory ports, in order to feed on carbon, thus to grow, release oxygen. They can't do that because they're trying to retain their moisture because the atmospheric RH relative humidity is so low. It's called vapor pressure deficit, massive factor that's completely stunting the growth of trees and crops. So we have multiple factors in the equation, certainly. So again, just like the COVID narrative with the, the COVID kill shots and the whole everything surrounding COVID, it's just premeditated mass genocide is what they're attempting to do at every single level of you know, that's what the globalists do. They're of their father, the devil, and of his lust and of his works. They will do, and he was a liar from the beginning and a murderer. And that's what they want. They, they, they want that exact thing. Now, what would you say to someone listening to this who's skeptical about the things that, that you and I have just mentioned here? Let's say that somebody stumbles onto this interview and says, no, what are you talking about? It's just, it's just nature. It's just a natural hurricane or it's a natural drought or it's a natural flood or you know the the typical media uh, push is that well it's it's climate change and therefore we have to shut down you know human civilization i guess or something but what would you say to somebody who's who's skeptical about this upon you know upon hearing what we're saying two-layered question on the first part of that question it would be comparable to arguing that it's some natural event would be comparable to, as an example I've used on many of my global alert news broadcasts, if you found a body in the street that had been stabbed, beaten, run over, shot, burnt, and you tried to claim they died of a heart attack, you'd have a hard time making that argument. In regard to the climate change groups and narratives, none, none are legitimate unless or until they address climate intervention first and foremost. It is the single most destructive human activity of all, greatest and most immediate threat we collectively face short of nuclear cataclysm. And it's much, much more than just climate engineering, a.k.a. weather warfare, as you know, more than most anybody on the planet, that the elements coming down in our precipitation that we're all inhaling, known toxic elements, aluminum, barium, strontium, manganese, polymer fibers, graphene, and some of these elements, polymer fibers and graphene, are capable of acting as biological carriers to disperse a, disperse a pathogen from the cloud to the ground. So the amount of 
threats that are contained in what's happening in our skies are legion. What's extraordinary too, Dane, is that these seemingly weaponized systems are targeting effectively civilian infrastructure. So normally in a time of war, especially let's let's look back at World War II, you had the war machines of, let's say, Germany versus the war machines of the British or, or the Russians or, or, you know, the Allies, America, what have you, or, or the French. And it was, you know, it was war targets versus war targets or, or military targets versus military targets. Now, the civilian infrastructure that keeps people alive is being targeted by war, uh, sort of weaponization of natural dynamics, or I should say, I don't even know what's the best way to do this, to say this, but weaponization of the weather system. So they, they take a system that does exist, and then they tweak it in a way that weaponizes it, but they're targeting civilian infrastructure. So this is so far beyond traditional warfare. This is hitting people for mass starvation, famine, uh, dislocation. Uh, what does this mean about... <laughs> The, the globalist plan, I'm almost at a loss of words here, but isn't this kind of an all-out assault on, on human existence? It is. And I think what populations, especially in the U.S., need to understand is that because so many are armed and we have more freedoms than those in other parts of the world, that the population of the U.S. is not only expendable to those in power, but a radically and rapidly increasing liability. And that needs to be understood. That's why we have, as I think we've discussed before, Zygmunt Brzezinski, presidential advisor from Johnson all the way to 2017, stating with today's technology, it's easier for the controllers to kill a million people than to control them. So the populations that think those in power are there to protect their health, their welfare, their posterity, that could not be further from the truth. And that should be painfully obvious at this point, shouldn't it? Yes, yes. What What is your prognosis for the food supply in 2023 and a couple of years beyond that? You know, just based on the, the fertilizer disruptions that we've already talked about here, plus the drought and the geoengineering attacks on, on the biosphere. What do you think? And I don't mean for third world countries. I, I mean for America. What are Americans likely to experience in terms of uh, food scarcity or inflation or what have you? mass starvation and what's important for people to understand they've been trained taught programmed to believe that such equations are linear that you can gauge them out into the future based on how they've developed in the past that could not be further from the truth the equation we face couldn't be more non-linear and and we are at the breaking point of so many systems so you add the lack of fertilizer from the the supply chain breakdowns, you add the UV radiation that's bombarding the planet now, not just exponentially high UVB, but UVC. You add the toxins in the rain that's affecting microbiome, root systems, vapor pressure deficit where they're desiccating the skies and absorbing all the atmospheric moisture. You can't grow almost anything in California right now. They're tearing out orchards with excavators. Empty food shelves are right around the corner, Mike. Why is it that this is so obvious to yourself and, and to me as well, and most of our audience, and actually anybody paying attention, if you start projecting out the fertilizer supply and soil conditions and atmospheric conditions and so on, you know, it, 
the the chart the chart of food supply falls off a cliff uh, in 2023. But yet most people are operating as if somehow there's going to be a magical solution. Why, why do you think that is? Normalcy bias has been fed in this country to a degree that can scarcely be believed. People are trained that somehow if they just ignore things long enough that everything will magically work out. That could not be further from the truth. And those in power are doing everything they can to keep the population completely oblivious to the oncoming train until the moment of impact. And that moment draws perilously near. So let me ask you about the radiation factor and all of this. There's a lot. Now remember, none of this from either Mike or, or Dane is being looked at through any kind of biblical lens whatsoever. Okay, so bear that in mind. Generally, when I hear Dane Wigginton or Debbie Downer Tavares or these types of people, it's maximum doom and gloom, maximum man-centered. You've got to do this. You've got now. Granted, I'm all I'm all for getting the word out. I'm all for educating others. I'm all for you know being proactive hugely, um, but doing so with a biblical worldview is very um, central to. Uh, really being a modern day Christian, if you ask me, you, you need to look at it through a biblical lens. Concerned that there could be some kind of nuclear weapons deployed by one side or the other in in Europe. Uh, there's a lot of movement. Uh, State Department has warned Americans, get out of Russia. Uh, Russia's defense minister, Medvedev, uh, or Med. Medvedev, if I'm getting Medvedev, I think that's that's it. I have trouble with the Russian names, but he is warning that Russia has a posture of being uh, quick to jump to any weapon system they want if they feel like they're being attacked and so on. What would happen in in your research, Dane? Because I know you've done extensive research. If you take all the problems that we've talked about so far, and then you add radioactive fallout spread through. The, the jet stream, all the winds circling across the northern hemisphere, what what would that do to our system? Game over. You have immediate destruction of what's left of the ozone layer. That by itself is an ELE, extinction, extinction level event. And Again, though there's no Bible for an extinction level event happening, even in the tribulation, when it's going to probably get about as bad as we're going to see it, second half of the tribulation. So... God is still in control. Bear that in mind. This is coming, this is from a secular viewpoint here. This is maximum doom and gloom. This is we're all going to die. We're going to die tomorrow. If we don't all do whatever is being said here. And, and I understand why he's concerned, but, uh, you know, if you listen to stuff like this all the time, you're going to have you know, the fear of man well up in you, which in the fear of man bringeth a snare, the Bible says. We're supposed to fear God, not man or the situations and these types of things. To be prudent, to have wisdom, to have understanding in, in these types of things is a different deal. But I can just imagine, I mean, like this guy and Deb, Debbie Downer Tavares and, and so many others, you listen to them and all you want to do is wring your hands because it's going to feel like, oh, there's no hope. But God is on the throne. We're on the winning team at the end of the day. And um, so always bear that in mind. The, the fallout then, the half-life, soils ramifications, water's ramifications, that is, a, that is an absolute certain game over scenario. And those in power 
as we've discussed before, based on psychoanalysis, seem to lack the comprehension to consider the consequences of their actions, even to themselves. We're, we're dealing now with a headless, heartless, soulless cancer in many arenas that will do anything to retain that power until the brutal bitter end. And that draws near. We need to have a mass awakening. Populations need to focus on priorities. If we don't deal with the greatest and most immediate threats starting with what's happening in our skies because we can't escape that we can escape the jab we can escape other factors but we have to breathe and we're sucking up these materials they can lace those materials with whatever they want we have to deal with that first the onslaught to the planet's life support systems from climate engineering as well and then we have to start focusing on other issues but we need populations to understand that we are in a real-time fight for life right now and mike also as i know you've been observing the attack on the Nord Stream pipelines completely eclipsed by Hurricane Ian. And that's just one more layer of how those events serve those in power. Many, many agendas likely being carried out all at once. Yeah, really good point. The timing of that is highly suspicious. But but let me ask you a follow-up question on, on what you just said. These, these globalists... I don't know, the, the elite, wealthy, politically connected people, uh, from, from other sources I have and other interviews I've done, we know that these individuals are, uh, they are stockpiling massive underground bunkers, uh, so-called dumbs, deep underground military bases, uh, old abandoned missile silos they've turned into, you know, like multi-story underground apartment systems and so on. They are, they think that whatever is being unleashed that will kill off much of humanity and maybe what you described extinction level event they think that they can just live underground for a year or two and then reemerge and then oh it's all going to be green and beautiful again what's what's wrong with that thinking on their part from your view dane that's a really important question so let's let's put this into context with the most comparable events in Earth's geologic past. It's called the Petum event, the Paleocene-Eocene thermal maximum, 55 million years ago, mass extinction event that parallels what's happening today, again, with climate engineering being a massive factor in what's happening today. But what's happening now is happening mathematically hundreds of times faster than that event from 55 million years ago, again, the last mass extinction. The equilibrium period after that okay. extinction... Again, he's showing his, his Darwinian evolution type of side okay so that's what i'm saying this is why i don't recommend dane wigginton a ton because his worldview it, it i guarantee you when the wicked evil cabal is put in its place by the good guy white hat ascended master slash trump slash uh whoever's going to come back on a white horse including the antichrist and false prophet they, these two guys, including Alex Jones, will be on that bandwagon, including the Restore America, including the Dominionists out there, and so many people in Christianity will be on that bandwagon because they're going to think it's the return of Christ or their coming awaited Savior. And all the other false religions are going to be on the same bandwagon because it's going to be everything rolled and wrapped into one nice, neat package. The Bible warns about this. Um, but unfortunately that's the scenario. And I've been talking about this a ton in the last, well, really since, you know, I think the ministry started, but increasingly in the last year or so, 
um, with, you know, the, this whole trend of, you know, Michael Flynn and praying to the angel, uh, Michael the Archangel and how the Pentecostal Church and the Dominionists are involved in that. And, and, and then the New Agers are doing the same thing and communicating with the supposed entity, Michael the Archangel. And the coming back of these ascended masters and, you know, the whole thing about Nasera, Gesera and, and, you know, been hearing it for 20 years on, you know, how that's going to happen. And these type just another gigantic thing on before it's news today on that. So that's going to tie into this quite a bit. And I just wanted to kind of throw that in there. One we're in now is far worse. Equilibrium period, 10 to 20 million years. That's a long time to stay underground, isn't it? <laughs> well, m maybe not if they're, if they're zombies. Again, 10 to 20 million. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like we need to think in terms of, of those types of, of things. And that's when you have that evolutionary Darwinian typical you know, the earth is billions of years old type of mindset. Um, that's when you, you run into that. And this is one of the main things they've used to con people into believing Darwinianism evolution is, oh, well, anything can happen in billions of years or millions. I mean, come on. You know, that's why I, I highly advise against it. And we've done a lot of studies, you know, exposing and debunking evolution and that type of thing or dracula or something maybe they can hibernate like undead creatures for a while and then emerge someday like um in the thriller video by michael jackson or something. i mean obviously that's satire on my part but yeah it's it's kind of like we're living under the control of a suicide cult and they think that they can just conveniently destroy the surface of the planet let everybody die off and then that they're going to re-emerge and reclaim earth and everything's going to be great and it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> it it doesn't. And I, I, there are many that are in that category, I believe, that feel somehow they're going to ride this out. There are many others, the disaster capitalists. And this throws a lot of people's perceptions and conclusions off. They think if if someone's making money off of this, there must be a way out of it. Or, But I would argue, again, the disaster capitalists will do what they do because that's who they are. It's to, to compare the, them with pirates on the deck of a sinking ship, filling their pockets with loot. How much good will that do them when they go to the bottom with the ship? And that's what we face. We have too many people. But it would be the same where what shall a profit of man if he gain the whole world and loses his own soul. But again, these two guys are in that boat though. And they don't even, they act like they're above that or something. I'm not saying that they're wicked and evil like the globalists, but apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, apart from saving salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, they're all going to end up in the same place, which is really ironic because they're representing themselves as these good guy white hats, just like Alex Jones in these types. So, you know. That have again been too completely programmed to comprehend to comprehend the totality of what's unfolding and we, we have to change course we have to stop this interference with the planet's life support systems as, as you know with your background the pharmaceutical approach for planet earth and all the pharmaceutical commercials we see take this for a certain symptom and you hear again all the side effects and it's it's so horrific you wonder who in the world would would take that product but it's that mentality that's being dished onto planet earth. and i saw a commercial uh yesterday online and it showed this guy and i think he was uh he was at the at the airport and um going to his vacation destination said before advil 
And then he was his back was all horrible and he was in all kind of pain. And then after Advil, shows him get into the hotel and, and he's strips off his shirt and he jumps into the pool and he's got no pain. Like the problem's gone. Well, yeah, until the drug wears off and the problem, which which didn't go anywhere. Now, oh, you got to take more Advil and eventually the underlying cause, probably some type of disc injury in his back, maybe a hernia disc, maybe a bulging disc, maybe degeneration there. Well, what Advil does, or any type of painkiller taken all the time, not only is it actually destructive to the joints, there's a large component of, of ibuprofen that actually is destructive to the joints. That's, that fits their business model. They're creating more people. I've seen people that were in sports that had um, a lot of um, hype. I think this is what happened to Tiger Woods. There was there was a kid when I was growing up in. Um, well, I was I was I was actually probably in the the nineties. His, his name was Teddy Dupay, and I can remember in high school, this kid was like a three point. It was, it was a little white guy. You're not your quintessential basketball player, but man, he was a point scoring three point scoring machine actually went to play, I believe, the Gators, the Florida, which is where I was going before I went to chiropractic college. Um, and he was just a point-scoring machine. I mean, this kid was was unreal. And I remember, this was in the 90s when I had when I was already, I believe, a chiropractor. And um, they said, yeah, but he, he was, did this interview, and he says, oh, I take all this ibuprofen. I'm like, you're in high school. For all the pain. And I'm like, this kid's going to have the the life, his career is going to have a life expectancy of a gnat. You watch. Sure enough, he never made it anywhere. He, he barely got out of college. Because he was a, ibuprofen will eat your joints up, is the moral of the story. Not only that, is even if it didn't eat your joints up, what it will do is give you, just like in the commercial I saw yesterday, a false sense of security that, oh, wow, pain is gone, therefore problem is gone. Even though yeah, you had the pain horribly two hours before, you know, and, and you're going to have it as soon as the, um, most likely when it wears off, but they want us to have a real short-term memory span. They want us to have this Burger King mentality, I want it now and I want it my way. It's not fixing anything. It's going to give you a false sense of security. So what you're going to do is, is then you're going to, it'd be like driving down the road. I've said this before. The oil light comes on in your car. You take a black magic marker. You say, I got the solution. And you just black the magic. You, you blacken out the warning light and keep driving. When you take drugs for pain or really most problems, if you have to take them consistently, that's what you're doing. You're saying, well, God gave me this, this wonderful body that is, um, capable of giving me these warning signs they're there for a reason and you're saying no you're stupid body you're dumb i'm gonna dull the pain i'm gonna take it away and i understand taking stuff once in a while for a headache things like that but if it's something that's consistent well there's an underlying issue there and your body's trying to tell you something well that's how they want us trained just to have that short-term mentality want it now want it my way Take the pain away, and then you really do something and overextend yourself because the pain mechanism's not there, and then you really herniate the disc. Now you're a surgical candidate, all by design, on purpose, to get that exact scenario to happen to you. 
that commercial I saw for uh, Advil was so totally patently evil and obnoxious, I couldn't even believe what I was seeing. He's, he's, he's debilitated getting into the car. Uh, I don't know if he was going to the airport or whatever. And then, you know, hours later, he's, he's, you know, stripping off his shirt, jumping in the pool. And it's like the problem's gone. The problem hasn't went anywhere. And that is the, the mentality that they were just talking about here, that they want us to all be in. Right now, if it continues, we're done. Well, and what you're getting at here is, I think, a description of a structural vulnerability that the very structure of capitalism as it is pursued which by the way is almost fascism because it's so tied into government and it's a lot of monopolism and uh, kleptocrats are involved and so on it's not even really a free market system but nevertheless the way it's operated today it can't help but commit suicide in order to maximize profits in other words there's no incentive to not self-destruct it's it's like I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, you're completely correct. Continue. I mean, but you're 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 completely correct. There's there's no rationally arguing what you just stated. Well, yeah, and especially, you know, investors look at quarterly profits and they they look at the balance sheet and the only thing that matters to them are the numbers on this balance sheet. Oh, cash flows in, cash flows out, and uh, you know, profits and losses and assets and so on. But then there's this whole other balance sheet that they never see and never incorporate and that's like oh what's happening to the atmosphere what's happening to the soils what's happening to the oceans you know how, how, how do we live on this planet because we don't have another one and i mean i guess these are called externalities typically right in kind of climate discussions and and there there's a lot of truth to that those externalities like you and i dane i think we are both very alarmed about the levels of pollution of this planet, which I don't ever hear environmentalists talking about the pollution, like the heavy metals going into the soil, or all the glyphosate and pesticides going into the crops, or even how the oceans, the, the marine ecosystems are being overrun by microplastics to the point where even the digestive systems of many of these creatures uh, barely function at this point, and those plastics aren't going to go away anytime soon. It's like, well, this is a problem, and this, this is a fatal problem if we don't fix it. Your thoughts? It is fatal. You brought up many important points. Let me back into that with the microplastics, which are part of climate engineering operations. Polymer fibers that are stated in patents as being used for the function of helping to keep the metal particulates aloft longer in the atmosphere. These are coating the sea surface. For example, in the eastern Pacific off the U.S. West Coast, when you have a sea surface that's coated not only with the decomposing plastics from all the waste that we dump in our oceans, but also the ubiquitous climate engineering fallout, that radically affects evaporation on the sea surface. Now you add the toxic solar radiation management canopy that blocks direct sunlight, which further thwarts evaporation, all of it adding to the cutting off of moisture from the U.S. West Coast. Any moisture that does try to form and migrate to the toward the east into the western U.S., that is blocked almost consistently with the ridiculously resilient ridge of high pressure. That's an ionosphere heater created dome of high pressure, rotates upper level winds clockwise around the western U.S., so nothing enters the western U.S. So by multiple means, the climate engineers can can and are completely cutting off the flow of precipitation to the west. Much of that ends up in the east. Other crops are being flooded. Crops in Nigeria just got wiped out from massive flooding. So we have the drought deluge scenario 
that is the hallmark of climate intervention operations. Hmm. Hmm. This is, you know, and just listening to you there, I, I know why I love interviewing you so much and why people love hearing this, because you pack so much information into such a, a short amount of time. You like your your signal to noise ratio is super high. We and we cover a lot of ground here together. So I just want to compliment you on that. And team next absolutely next question for you then is so normally uh, let's talk about hurricane ian or as you're saying ian normally in a hurricane you that would be a one-off event where a nation could recover a nation could rebuild because they have a supply chain that's functioning because they have spare parts and they have spare labor and they have the ability to be resilient and redundant in repairing that area but right now today with the total devastation of certain areas of central Florida or western Florida, it looks like an atomic bomb dropped on some of those small cities and so on. We don't have a supply chain that functions. So you can't even get a lot of the electrical parts. You can't get some of the plumbing parts and the, the polymers, maybe the uh, piping. You can't get the lumber that you need, and you can't get the labor. And it doesn't matter how much money they print. If the government says, oh, here's $50 billion to repair your city, uh, I still can't find the parts I need. It doesn't matter how much money you have if you can't find the parts. So now we're talking about storms that are occurring in the context of a, a globally weakened supply chain system. So now it becomes not just a, a little white swan. It's a Now it's a black swan. Now it's a black monster swan. You see what I mean? I do. And you're completely correct. Again, if people looked at this in the as a comparison with dominoes that are falling, each successive domino being bigger than the last for the reasons you cited. These, these, what amounts to a feedback mechanism that feeds on itself at that point when there's no more supply chain and the restructuring can't happen and that breaks down the system even further. Same thing is happening environmentally with back to the, the toxins you mentioned with the food that's needed for these people. We have now oceans that are so polluted and the die-off is so horrific that we have fisheries collapsing around the globe. In the case of uh, farm salmon and so forth, for example, and I know you know how toxic they are, one of the most yeah. toxic foods you can eat in the world, but even the salmon farms are having mass die-off, uh, 50,000 tons at a time. And people wonder, why, what's wrong with our scientists? Why aren't they speaking out? And I know you know this more than anybody, that they are bought, sold, and paid for. I have been in the field with USDA scientists I know very well, and scientists from CAL FIRE, entomologists, the top ones in the state, and all of them looking at me sheepishly as we're core drilling fir trees and testing for aluminum uptake, and they say, what do you want us to do about it? They know exactly what's going on, but they won't say a word. Same with people in agencies, same with elected officials in our region. They all know they won't say a word. They simply- And like so many 501c3 pastors, you throw them in there too. Are going to- pursue their own personal agendas, their mm -hmm. paychecks, their pensions, until there's virtually nothing left. Where's honor? Where's morality? Yep. Where's virtue? Amen. Well, and, and those who do attempt to speak out, they are immediately vilified, threatened, all their funding is cut, their labs are shut down. Uh, for example, you know, I interviewed Dr. David Lewis, uh, and the, the name of his book, Science for Sale. And, you know, he's the whistleblower from the EPA that talked about all the biosludge coming out of the sewage systems of every city in America and this biosludge being spread on farms as fertilizer. Now, 
that's that's a suicide mission as as you well know you can't take human sewage collect everything that's flushed down the toilet in a city and then just dump it on farms and call it fertilizer because it has nitrogen in it and that that's beyond insane it's and yet that's that's happening in america in every city every single city right now today every day what is there actually in a number of municipalities they are now literally recycling the wastewater and putting it right back into the tap oh true <laughs> yeah especially in california la is doing that yeah. exactly and it's called toilet to tap you can look it up uh deborah Tavares has done a ton on that one uh, the desalinization plants are not a cure either and that there's horrific damage happening from that the fisheries in chile have been wiped out from their desalinization plants so there's uh, the bottom line is we need to stop interfering with the planet's life support systems climate engineering the, the single most destructive human activity of all short of nuclear cataclysm and we have an entire system of academia pretending it's not happening pretending mm -hmm. it's some proposal that we could may might do somewhere down the road See, this whole global effort to destroy and, and wipe out the world it takes it takes a lot of moving parts and it takes a lot of compliant sheeple people that are willing to go along with the agenda it just look look at the covid thing how many billions went along with that you know, and I, I know that a lot of them are, are deluded and they don't have a clue, but a, a lot of them do, yet they still go along with it. Well, it's glaring in the skies above us, and we need populations to stand behind those of us, you, me, and others, that are trying to bring these issues to light. We need everyone's help to circulate data and materials, and again, it's we brought up on our last exchange, we try to, we offer our printed materials at less than our cost to try to get them into circulation. We have shirts now that are good conversation starters for people to, to get the door open. We're doing everything we know to do. I, I live, Mike, for bringing this issue to light. I, my mission in life is to see this issue exposed and everything else, else with it, all the work you've done over so many years, it will pull so many things to light. It would cause a shockwave around the world if populations knew what their governments have done to them without their knowledge, without their consent, wouldn't they at that point take to the streets with their proverbial pitchforks and torches and start trying to hold legally and morally accountable anyone and everyone involved from the media, so-called elected officials, the so-called science community? We have a system that is criminally corrupt, and we will all pay the price if we don't deal with it. Well, okay, so – um, anyway, I wanted you to kind of hear that particular take on it. I'm kind of running out of time here, so I want to play this next video. Uh, I, I post another couple videos here. A one that just he just did, Dane Wigginton did on. If you want to see more on the hurricane manipulation, uh, it's a 44 minute video just dedicated to that one thing. It's a video, where, and then another one. Half of the U.S. phosphate fertilizer production took a direct hit by Hurricane Ian agriculture supply chain severely impacted and, they, and they've already been as we've been reporting the next one uh is called project cirrus and um government admits to manipulating hurricanes and i'm going to go ahead and play this one and that will be the last video and then there's some other stuff to cover okay so this is healthy american peggy hall um again she's got some claims to be a christian but a lot of new agey stuff that she's into so i've kind of given warnings about that I'm, I'm just more looking at just the material we're looking at here today 
what I want to do is get my hair all in order. I have had quite an afternoon with my computer shutting itself down three times. All of the research that I was working on was gone, but I don't want to delay anymore in bringing you this important information. Here it is. The government admits to manipulating hurricanes. Now for you, my smart, savvy, supportive, sometimes snarky, healthy Americans, that is probably no news to you. You know that weather manipulation has been around for a long time. I have it on record and I did reclaim this one document and I'm going to bring it to you. I think it's very, very interesting. And this is actually, I have a couple of documents I want to share with you. And many of you emailed me in the aftermath of this Hurricane Ian, which was just so devastating. And you've seen, again, I had all of these links up here to show you the uh, devastation, but I know you've seen that on YouTube and on the news and on different social media. So it's absolutely uh, just horrible. And my heart goes out to all of those that have lost property, loved ones that have had to leave, have had to um, evacuate. They've come back and they've seen all of the destruction. I'm going to answer the question first before we look at the research. And the question people have is, Peggy, why in the world would the government want to do that? Why would the government want to manipulate the weather? Why would the government intentionally seek to harm us? Well, if you've been awake and aware and alert for the last two and a half years, you know exactly what's going on. You know that the government wants to control us, not only the weather, it wants to control us. And it wants to create and instill a sense of fear and terror and dread so that when people are uprooted, they are going to experience a hardship, not only emotionally, physically, financially, spiritually, socially, uh, economically. People may be losing their jobs because they don't have a place to live now near where they worked. Right. Think yeah. about the housing market in Florida. Uh, several weeks ago, I did a video saying, is moving a trap? And I posed the question, and I don't have any evidence for this, but it was a hypothetical question. Do you think people moving to Florida, that could be a trap? That Florida, I'm not saying I, I've been hearing that for a long time. I'm just saying I, I have. Um, you're, you're exposed down there. Again, there's a lot that can go sideways with the weather, with the hurricanes and um, flooding and you know that type of thing I, I understand you could encounter that you know a lot of different places obviously different types of weather and these types of things but um i've had a lot of my listeners you know bring that up the governor is doing this or anything else but just people in general moving to florida and then it becomes um ripe for the picking so to speak here in California, California has been, my state, California has been targeted for years. They are destroying it at a breakneck speed because it is beautiful. There are resources. There are so many people here. So when they can destroy a state, it wipes out basically 40 million people in one fell swoop. So the impact of taking down California in terms of how it can destroy the rest of the United States is huge. And it's the same with New York. New York is also very populated. I think it's the second most populated state. Probably Florida is either number two or number three. I need to check my statistics. But it's very, very troubling to me that people fled to Florida from many different states, including California, to find freedom. And yes, hurricanes happen all the time in Florida. But the nature of how destructive this was, and I want to talk to you also about Hurricane Betsy, and that was back in the 1960s. And it also was said to have very erratic behavior.
behavior. It was was one of the first that made the scientists uh, scratch their heads saying, we can't figure out why this hurricane acted the way it did. Well, I'm on the track to figure that out. Well, I mean, just from what we heard from David Wigan Hack, they can amplify them, steer them, you know, that's that's really, that, that, that should tell you that they've had this technology for a long time. I mean, a very long time. And we're going to get into that at the very end. I'm sure that you are as well. So many of you said to me, Peggy, please cover this. I want you to talk about Hurricane Ian and any government intervention or manipulation or controlling and so forth. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. Let me know in a comment below if you are in Florida, if you fled Florida, if you are in South Carolina, if you are being affected by this hurricane. I have many, 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 many lovely, healthy American friends that live in Florida, more and more because they're moving there. And I just want to send my prayers for your comfort for your courage as you get through all of this. I also want to say that another reason why the government would do this is that not only are they instilling fear, uncertainty, the economic devastation, but think about just the nuts and bolts of it. Okay, so the housing market started to slow in Florida. So now there are going to be people scrambling to rent or buy or move. So it seems to me that we are going to be seeing a rebound in the housing market. I could be wrong. What say you? The other thing that I'm noticing is the increases in homeowners insurance, in flood insurance, in car insurance, boat insurance, all of those things that people have already told me are higher in Florida than in other places because of the propensity for storms. The other thing that I see and that I lived through when I was in New Orleans in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina is the federal government control. So FEMA is going to be in there. They're going to be setting up FEMA camps. People are going to be getting federal relief money. And I think they should. Don't get me wrong. All of that can be a boon. I actually stayed in a FEMA camp. I did some videos about that previously when I flew from California to New Orleans to help in the animal rescue uh, operations because so many animals were left behind. And when I see devastation uh, in these videos now in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian, really my heart goes out to the animals because they're innocent, they're off often left behind. Sometimes the people aren't able to get find their animals and get them in the car. I personally, and I'm sure you're the, just like me, you would never leave your animals behind. They are your family members. So I look at that. I look at the flooding and not just pets, but all of the you know wildlife and all of the destruction that was heaped upon them. So there are so many reasons why the government might want to control and manipulate these storms. But don't just take my word for it or my opinion. Now we're going to actually dive in to the facts and the evidence. So the first thing I'm going to do is uh, I need to find all of this that got deleted. Uh, okay, here's what I want to do. I'm going to take you right on over and you are going to see a document. Well, let me just take it. Let me take you right on over and we'll take a look there. And here we go. We're hopping right on over, and this is the Controller General of the United States. This is a document in 1972. It's a response to an inquiry made by a senator, Senator Schweiker. And it says, uh, this is in response to your request uh, of September 22nd. <laughs> so think about that. How many years ago is that? 1971? About um, 50 years ago? Mm -hmm. For certain background information on cloud seeding activities carried out in the United States under programs supported by federal agencies. And I'm going to show you a second document that is very, very compelling. But here, I wanted to direct you where he is saying, yes, indeed, we have had uh, federal agencies involved and in... she's showing an original document, like archive type of document to the senator. 
cloud seeding and on the types of chemicals used for their seeding and their effect on the environment. Uh, we also obtain data concerning the extent of cloud seeding conducted over Pennsylvania. All right, this is, you know, 50 years ago, and I just want to show you that it's on the record. So here's what I want to um, direct your attention to. Okay, several federal agencies support weather modification programs, period. There, the government is on record stating that they modify the weather. And this goes back many, many, many uh, decades. This right. is just something that I pulled way, up. Way before, even before 1972, but yeah. The... To share with you. So major research programs, and this is 50 years ago, so you know that it's been accelerated. Why in the world would it go backwards? Right. Here we go. It includes precipitation modification. Now, we don't know whether that means to reduce it or increase it fog and cloud modification, hail suppression, and lightning and hurricane modification. There you go. The name They can dissipate hurricanes to nothing. They can create them, and they can dissipate them into nothing. They've had this technology going back 50-plus years. Yet, we're supposed to believe all the garbage about, oh, this, this hurricane formed out of... And, and like Dane Wigginton said, if you saw what ian it wasn't like ian started off the, the coast of africa like a lot of times you'll see the classic hurricanes lining up and hurricane alley coming over this looked like a jumbled it looked like a whole bunch of jumbled mess and all of a sudden they know this is going to turn into a hurricane no but they had to get that weather that weather pattern into an area where it could be manipulated through the technology they have. They can't do that as readily if it's way out into the Atlantic. And that's what Dane had, had said. And then once they created, started to create the, the tropical depression into a tropical storm, then they could actually manipulate it. And, and that's how they steered it right into Florida. My uh, broadcast today is the government admits to uh, modifying and manipulating and controlling hurricanes. And here you go. So I want to show you, here it is, lightning modification, hurricane modification. Now this is 50 years ago, so the numbers you know, probably are much larger these yeah. days. They're showing and the budgets for all this stuff, for fucking cloud modification, hail suppression. I mean, you know, they're openly admitting to it here in this document. There have been different agencies that have been involved. Uh, here we go. Several, uh, well, different federal agencies. The research I did previously said that it was the Department of the Navy, the Department of the Air Force, um, the General Electric. And that's what I want to show you next. That's not a federal agency, but it might as well be one because of all of the money and all of the research that it does for the government. It's basically like a quasi-government. Now, what I want to show you here, it says various methods are used to seed clouds from either the air or the ground. In aerial seeding, flares containing silver iodide, the most commonly used seeding material in the United States, they are ignited and dropped from a plane or propane generators, or they're attached to the wings of a plane. Now, my lovely uh, YouTube buddy here that I want everybody to follow his channel. His name is John Graff, G-R-A-F. He is in the city of Long Beach, California. I've met him in person, and he does these incredible uh, 
you know, uh, footage that he gets right from his camera. So there's nothing that's manipulated and he will show you what is being spewed from these planes. So it says that uh, propane generators attached to the wings of a plane are used to burn acetone with silver iodide to produce nuclei, which are delivered at controlled rates into the clouds. Now, I'm not going to get too technical, but the point I wanted to make is that the government does admit to manipulating uh, weather, including hurricanes. And then it goes on with the cost. And here we go. The Air Force uh, officials and um, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, so this is, and I will have a link. I'll, I'll drop a link for you in the description box if you would like to read this document. I just want you to see it. Now, the other thing I want to show you is, and I will put this for you as well, the history of Project Cirrus. All right. This is from General Electric. I will have this linked for you below as well. This is just a starting point, friends. This is going to be the aerial view. All right, I'm not doing the deep dive right now because, as I say, a lot of my research uh, I lost because my computer shut itself down three times. I tried to restart, and that's why I was a little bit delayed for the timing on the broadcast. So let's just take a look at this as an introductory video. Again, she's showing the actual um, cover document for this History of Project Cirrus, General Electric Research Laboratory, uh, compiled by Barrington S. Havens, Public Relations Service Division. Uh, looks, I'm not sure how many pages it is, but it's, it, I mean, it looks very authentic. To establish the fact that, yes, indeed, the government is capable of affecting these hurricanes. It was very strange, the uh, pattern of Ian and the way that it was steered and it's not the only one. There was one called Hurricane Betsy. Okay, I skipped ahead just slightly because I, I wanted to stay on this her, this Project Cirrus because she kind of went off on a little tangent there. And let's get back to the video here. To Now we'll go back to the Project Cirrus. And I will link for you below. This is General Electric. And I am going to direct okay. you. We're J going to... July 1952. This project, Cirrus, 1950. So we go back another 20 years. We heard about 1972 with um, what we were initially talking about there with the weather manipulation. Now we go back another 20. And this is common knowledge. So who knows how far you can actually go back on this. Over to page 70. But first, because that's where they're talking about hurricanes. Here we go. History of Project Cirrus. This went on from 1947 to 1952. Project Cirrus, initiated in 1947 under this contract from the government, was established to cover research study of cloud oh, particles. And, this, and I don't know why she's not emphasizing these dates more heavily. It was initiated in February 28, 1947. So that's another five years before 1952. Okay, so we are talking, you know, like three quarters of a century ago basically and they were the, the common knowledge having documents like this come out i mean no big deal i guess and cloud modifications it continued through the life of several government contracts ending in 1952 now there have been many 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 additional contracts but this is something that came to my attention as one of the first uh visible contracts so think again 1952 how many years is that is that um 60, 70, 80, is that 70 years uh, ago? Yeah, 70 years ago. 
so we know that they have accelerated since then. I'm going to leave this for you because I'm going to dig in myself. I want to learn all about the gas masks and the smoke generators and nucleation. And look at this. Vonnegut's early. She, she's showing like the um, the fifth page of this 122-page document from GE, General Electric. And their early history of, I guess, this type of stuff and, you know, all the things that they're they're looking at in this document. Um, first man-made snowstorm. Project Cirrus, Silver Iodide, um, Supercooling of Metals, Vonnegut's Early Work, Cloud Studies at Mount Washington. So, the, again, this has just been, this has been used for so long. This is actually the writer, Kurt Vonnegut's brother, was the researcher of all of this. I find that very strange as well. I should do make myself a note to do a video about Vonnegut because I think he probably was a government agent designed to write books that would manipulate the culture as well. Have to dig into that. I'll make myself a note. Um, Langmuir is one of the first scientists that he was a Nobel Peace Prize winner. You know what that, that doesn't mean very much. And I don't know if it was a Peace Prize or just maybe a Nobel Prize in science. I, I might have misspoken. But he was one of the first people to do all of the cloud seeding and, again, probably a government agent. But here's what I want to show you. So they talk all about ground operations, weather station, dry ice dispenser, silver iodide generators, cloud meter. Here's what I want to show you. We're going to scroll down to number seven. And that is I'm number eight, hurricanes and forest fires. They're admitting that they manipulate hurricanes and forest fires. And I'm going to not yeah, look at the, the dues weapons, D-E-W. I mean, I've reported on those how many times, how, you know. They, they, and there's literal videos I've played from the government where they say, yeah, we've got these devices and they go and that's how they melt the cars and, and melt steel structures in the middle of these, for, and, and what they do to these areas, all these um, forest fires, particularly, granted, it's not only in California, but that's one of the primary epicenters that they've used it in. I mean, it's just beyond comprehension about forest fires today we're going to talk about the hurricanes and i'm going to hop right on over to page 70 because here actually maybe i need to go back one page um oh see my computer is freezing again friends well let me do this i'm going to leave this pdf for you and and you can dig in as well here we go it talks about the seeding and there's that guy Langmuir again, and how they will fly planes into the hurricane or around the hurricane. Here we go. Uh, the storm consisted of an eye approximately 30 miles in diameter surrounded by a thick wall of clouds extending from about 800 feet up into the cirrus, overcast at 20,000 feet. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Um, okay, so this is, which, which storm was this? Okay. It was planned to study a young storm as soon as possible after it had assumed the form of a hurricane. All right, let's go on. Okay. After a brief reconnaissance flight around the outer wall, the decision was made to seed a track over the uppermost cloud shelf and at a distance from the center sufficient to permit the control aircraft to fly contact 5,000 feet above the seeding aircraft. So, friends, this requires uh, 
a little bit deeper digging, and I plan to do so, but I wanted to establish for you and answer the question that was on everybody's mind who was emailing me. Yes, indeed, the government does manipulate these hurricanes. So here is an example of that. They're talking about it, exactly what they do. This is a whole description of seeding it. And uh, here we go. Um, I'm not sure if this one actually, if their first test had any any of the results that they wanted, but it is to establish that the government does indeed manipulate the weather. It's on record saying that it does. There are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of patents on weather manipulation. Right. So these are hard facts. And okay. So and it's uh, the video's almost over there, um, and I'm running out of time. So just some comments under Peggy's video. I think this is the first comment. I am in Naples, Naples, Florida, which also was very hard hit uh, with the storm surge in particular. I'm very fortunate. Two months leading up to Ian, no matter what time of day or night, I would see chemtrails with multiple planes spraying. That is very unusual for our area, so I started taking photos of the sky to connect the dots backwards. Another lady said, I live in Naples also. I have noticed the exact same thing that you describe here. These comments are only a day old. Uh, then another one. Hello, Peggy. Yes, we were in Florida in the Panhandle. We were hit by a Cat 5 Hurricane Michael in October of 2018. Not many talk about this one. It formed in the same place as Ian and went straight north, devastating Panama City and the surrounding areas. Uh, we have lived here since 2000 in Florida since 1989. We are still clearing, clear, cleaning up after the storm. So that's uh, this 2018. Uh, my husband built a dome home on our property, and it will hold up hold up to 275 miles per hour winds, even like tornadoes. Uh, then another lady, Evelyn, said, I told my sister they're messing with Florida now because people move there for freedom. Of course, she thinks I'm crazy conspiracy nut. The handwriting is clearly on the wall, but people are either not seeing it or not or choosing to ignore it. Well, it's the same reason they've targeted Texas that we've reported on. Um, same exact reason, because high populations of patriots are in those particular states, and those states are going to be punished above all others. And I believe that's why you've seen so much weather warfare go on in Texas and in Florida as of late. Now, I understand they've been doing a lot of stuff in California. That's been ongoing for a long time. But there's there's a good patriot population there as well. If you go out of the cities, uh, it's it's a lot of times very high. It's where you get into the big concentration of the cities, which is where you have your your massing of populations that you get into the real um, liberal types of people. And the last thing is, I'm just and I just threw this in. These are my slides on the eco and weather warfare from my presentation from 2006, my PowerPoint presentation from 16 years ago when I did my presentation on avian flu through the Prophecy Club, the 14-city tour I did. So these are just the ones pertaining to that. And I posted them here. And um, Senator Claiborne Pell, U.S. Senate, Senate Intelligence Member, Committee Member, commenting on a USA-USSR treaty signed in 1978, said, quote, Now that we can control the weather, create earthquakes and tidal waves, and use it as a weapon of war, we do not need a treaty. So he totally admitted, this senator, 
that they can control weather, create earthquakes and tidal waves and use it as a weapon. That was 1978. We go all the way back to that document that Peggy just cited and you go all the way back to 1947 when that Project Cirrus started and you can go back before that. So, I mean, you know, it, what, 80 plus years here we're looking at? If, if you can go back before that? Now, going back to this slide I just said, so what treaty was the senator in reference to? Now, th these slides are in the PDF for this date if you want to see them. The treaty that he was in reference to, Senator Claiborne Pell in 1978, is called the Convention on the Prohibition of Military and Any Other Hostile Use of Environmental Modification Techniques. This government treaty is currently posted online at the U.S. Department of State website at, and I'll give you a link, the treaty was signed in Geneva, Switzerland on May 18, 1977 and entered into force on October 5, 1978. Quoting from the first and second paragraphs of this treaty, we read, quote, The use of environmental modification techniques for hostile purposes does not play a major role in military planning at present time. Total life in the pit of hell. But of course, they're going to downplay it. They're saying it doesn't play a role, a major role in military planning at this time. That was 1977. Such techniques might be developed in the future, however, and would pose a threat of serious damage unless action was taken to prohibit their use. In July 1972, the U.S. government renounced the use of climate modification techniques for hostile purposes. Again, it's all lip service. They didn't really renounce it, but they had to make some kind of lip service statement. Both the U.S. Senate and the House of Representatives held hearings beginning in 1972, and the Senate adopted a resolution in 1973 calling for an international agreement prohibiting the use of any environmental or geophysical modification activity as a weapon of war. Again, lip service, but you know. Now, the word geophysical is defined as the physical processes and phenomena occurring, especially in the Earth. This would include processes like earthquakes, volcanoes, and tidal waves. So, in other words, the government has possessed technology to manipulate both climate and geophysical Earth patterns for many decades. There is a um, Bill Schneblin, who actually spoke the month before I did in the Prophecy Club, had a video, and you could probably still view it to this day. In fact, you might be able to go up on YouTube right now and look at it. They won't post mine. They keep taking them down, my, my presentation. But um, you can still buy my DVD at the Prophecy Club, though, if you wanted to. Uh, Bill Schneblin's Prophecy Club, it was called Russia's Secret Weapon to Defeat the USA, if you wanted to know more about, a little bit more about that. Uh, then here's a <laughs> China Weapons Lake Digest. China Lake Weapons Digest. Okay, this is from the government. Quoting from them, there's a link here. It's straight from the Navy.mil website, meaning military. I give you the link, the full length. Um, and it says at this link, quote, China Lake was for many years a world leader in weather modification for drought relief, which was called grommet, hurricane abatement. That means you're getting rid of the hurricane. Now, this was from, um, you know, like the early 70s, late 60s. 
that this was being used more. If they could get rid or abate hurricanes in the early 70s, for argument's sake, why aren't they using that now? No, no. They use their technology to create the hurricanes and steer them and try to create as much damage and carnage and destruction as they possibly can. They admitted openly in China Lake Weapons Digest that they had hurricane abatement technology. Specifically what the hurricane abatement technology was, was called Cyclops or Storm Fury. They also had fog abatement. That was Project Foggy Cloud and rainfall enhancement for military purposes. So all these places that have drought in California that Dane Wigginton was talking about, they possess the, the technology. They're admitting it right here. They admitted it in the, the documents that Peggy had, the Cirrus documents from GE, to enhance rainfall. But it says here for military purposes. We're going to look at that next. And then it says Project Popeye. Well, what's Project Popeye? Well, you can go right up to the internet. Just key it in, Project Popeye. Here it is. They openly admit to it. Operation Sober Popeye or Project Controlled Weather Popeye, Motor Pool or Intermediary Compatriot. I mean, it's got all these weird names. Was a military cloud seeding project carried out by the U.S. Air Force during the Vietnam War in 1967 to 1972, the highly classified program attempted to extend the monsoon season over specific areas of the Ho Chi Minh Trail in order to disrupt North Vietnamese military supplies by softening road surfaces and causing landslides. And they, I'm sure that that technology is way more advanced. They could all this stuff about Lake Mead and, and uh, all that all that could be done away with in a short period of time if they did it logically. But no, they've created the drought in California and in those areas to create that specific problem. Or wherever they have drought. They can create rainfall. They can create drought. They can make hurricanes come or expand and they can make them go away. They can create, her, they can create earthquakes. They can probably, you know control that as well. I mean, we already talked about that they can do that. They can control the weather and things like earthquakes. Now, granted, you don't ever want to take God out of the equation because God can do whatever he wants. But here is actual pictures from the China Lake Digest. If you look at the PDF, I, my, my original slide, 16 years ago, I covered this. I can't believe I, I did that torch. I can't believe how fast time goes. This is the exact slide I used then. Nothing's been changed or modified. And it shows you pictures of these um, weather manipulating devices. Shows several of them. And a little picture here. Here it is appropriate to quote ex-Defense Secretary William Cohen, who on April 28th, now we're fast forwarding to 1997, said, quote, Others are engaging even in an ecotype of terrorism, whereby they can alter the climate, set off earthquakes and volcanoes remotely through the use of electromagnetic waves. Where did he say this? The Conference on Terrorism, Weapons of Mass Destruction, and U.S. Strategy, University of Georgia in Athens. And he said it on April 28, 1997. And here's the link to that. Now, I can't guarantee all these links are still going to work. 
but you could still find it. You could probably find it more readily today. I mean, well, maybe with the way the search engines are, but this is all stuff the, the government's openly admitted to, you know. And then I don't know what became of these, but at the time, U.S. Senate Bill 517 and U.S. House Bill 2995, these bills would allow experimental weather modification by artificial methods and implement a national weather modification policy. <laughs> you, you never heard about any of this stuff, but yeah. And are on fast track to be passed in 2006. And that was when I did the tour. The appointed board of directors established by these bills do not include any agricultural, water, EPA, or public representatives and have no provisions for congressional, state, county, or public oversight of their actions or expenditures. So they have a blank checkbook, they have no oversight, and they can do whatever they want. And you know they're already doing this. There's a link to that report. So doesn't that make you feel kind of warm and fuzzy about all this? Again, this is why I have the things about weather warfare mentioned in the um, the group prayer, the, the main group prayer that, that I do. That This is part of it. The chemtrails and the next rad Doppler ultrasound blast wave accelerators and the dues weapons and, and the all that garbage, you know. That's why I have it in there. So that's all I have for today. Um, God bless you. Probably going to put out a newsletter next week. Whether I end up doing another study, I, I don't know, but definitely a newsletter. So God bless you, and we will see you in the next audio, Lord willing.